The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes of Frank Open Honest Conversation about gambling addiction. Uh, joining me as always uh, on this uh, morning is Dan Trelaro from Epic Risk Management. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Um, it's cold, but uh, where I am in the country, in North Dakota, but doing really well. All right. While you're there, maybe check out the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to, a, going to a hockey game, so that'll be pretty exciting. Sounds good. All right. Well, appreciate your time. Joel Soper is with us. Joel uh, is a gambling recovery and also wrote a book called Never Enough Zeros. Joel, it's Craig and Dan. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Thanks for asking. Yeah, appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your story. Uh, We'll get to the book uh, a little bit later in the program, but to start off, uh, first and foremost, how long has it been since you last gambled? My last bet was on March the 23rd. Of this year? Of this year, yeah. All right, so a few months. Congratulations. That's awesome. How do you feel? I feel a lot different. I feel like I can breathe again. Yeah, well, let's walk through your story, if you don't mind. Uh, what's your earliest memory of gambling, even before it became a problem for you? So I started working for a bookmaker in the city of Detroit when I was 16 years old, and I was writing down bets. Uh, because back then, that's what you did. You had to call the bookie, and you had to place your bet. And at that particular time, you can only bet on sides and totals, which means you can only bet like the Giants minus three over under 40. So I learned from an early age that a lot of people were into this sports gambling and the bookmaker that I worked for kind of showed me the ropes and, and told me how to navigate through the waters of betting, which obviously did not turn out too well for So me. did you start betting right away, or was there an aspect of that story where you started actually booking some of the action? So by proxy you were betting, but you were betting by taking bets. Well, it started off like that working for him, but I was strictly a sports gambler. I never did any bookmaking, and it started immediately, Craig. Um, you know, when I was working with him, I was actually betting with him as well. And um, that's when the whole thing started, and it it never ended up until, you know, the the time I went to jail and uh, just recently, you know, which was a little over six months ago. Got it. We're going to get to that part of the story for sure. Uh, How quickly did it become all-encompassing and out of control? It escalated real quickly, Um, and, um, you know, it's a progressive illness, so the the bets just – kept going up in uh, amounts and amount plays per day. So when I knew I was in trouble with gambling is when I was in college and I was selling drugs to finance my sports gambling habit. And um, it came to a head when I got in trouble and, um, you know, was facing three to five years in jail for uh, my crime of selling drugs. And as you'll as you'll see through my story, that's reoccurring event that, you know, gambling, trouble, gambling, trouble. So, all right. So you sold drugs to make money to support the gambling habit. Yeah, correct. 
right, and then you got to a place, uh, I'm going to take a guess here, that the amount of your gambling debts got to a certain or a large enough number where you started selling what people in the drug business call weight, where you started selling, it was more than dime bags, you know, behind a school. I imagine you were selling a decent amount, yeah? Yeah, my my case was conspiracy to possess uh, three ounces of cocaine. Got it. Okay, and that came with it uh, a jail term. Well, and here's another reoccurring event of my life, is that my lawyer did a internship with the judge. I still remember his name. It was Carnivelli. And um, everybody else was getting jail time. I got lifetime probation. Lifetime probation. Now, three ounces, I mean, I've never done cocaine, but it doesn't sound like a lot of cocaine for trafficking charges. Am I wrong on that? It's, it's, it's kind of a lot of weight, but Detroit, Michigan at the time had the toughest drug laws. They had the whole mm. white boy Rick going yep. on at that time. Right. And, you know, that he was actually who I was getting, you know, the, the drugs from. Not him directly, but one of his, his guys. guys. And, and when he got, you know, busted. You know, how I got busted was it was a undercover cop. But, yeah, so that was, you know, that was the first criminality that I was involved in due to my sports gambling. Uh, Let me bring Dan in here for a minute. Dan, there's a lot to unpack and uh, much more of the story, obviously, I still want to hear. Bad decisions are a byproduct of gambling addiction. Doesn't mean they're always illegal decisions, but they're bad decisions. Walk us through why gamblers like us start making bad decisions. Yeah, you know, it's 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 just listening to the story. You start getting comfortable with this world of, of um, you know, this uh, risk-taking mentality. Gamblers, by our very nature, we're comfortable taking risks. And it starts fueling a high, right? So we've got this financial need. In order to fuel this gambling, I need to now come up with more money. So I'm going to start taking these other risks, and I'm exposed to this world that I'm somewhat familiar with. I see a connection. And now all of a sudden you're comfortable taking the risk and you're chasing the feeling. You know, we don't leave our risk taking at the gambling table. We carry it with us through everything we do in life. So we're more comfortable taking those everyday risks in our environment that then come into our gambling environment and they overlap and mesh. So we've seen this happen before where it's just one bad decision after another and it starts to spiral. Uh, I would imagine, Joel, at some point, you know, you're dealing with, you know, not the greatest people in the world that if you have, you know, significant debts, uh, that at some point you couldn't pay those debts. Am I right? Absolutely. So let's fast forward to um, my business in San Diego, California. So I was making very good money. Um, I'm probably making at that time maybe $1.5 million a year. Okay. Well, Doing what kind of business? I'm- uh, I owned a landscaping business. Got it. Okay. Um, so illegal above board, you know, five, seven days a week, no joke business. Got it. Okay. Totally above board, totally legal. And, uh, you know, I have very good, you know, sales and verbal skills to sell my product. So I was able to generate that type of revenue. The problem was I was gambling, not only that, but a lot more each day. And, you know, I got in debt about uh, 752000 that I couldn't pay. So I was getting beat up. I mean, there was countless times I got my ribs cracked. I ended up with a concussion. I had a gun to my head. 
you know, being called every name in the book for owing these people money because I couldn't pay. So I was forced to sell my business in San Diego. And that's what I did to pay off all the bookmakers. And um, after that, I still had about, uh, I sold it for $3.2 million. So I still had a large amount of money. So I got the bright idea of going to Vegas and trying to be a sports handicapper. And uh, <laughs> that didn't work out too well. And within six months, I was broke and I was homeless. And then I went back to San Diego and started stealing and Wait, so you went from, this is fascinating to me, uh, there's a lot of uh, parallels that I can relate to. You're successful outside of gambling. You create a business that's worth millions of dollars. Uh, You're doing a million five a year just in sales. Things are great. You've got all the money you need to live an amazing lifestyle. And you lose it all gambling. And then rather than, I guess you sold the business to pay off the guys you owed. Okay, that makes sense to me. I get that. Uh, yep. But why not start a new uh, um, landscaping business as opposed to trying to sell picks as a handicapper? Well, there you go. There's where the addiction just, you know, rears its ugly head. And when you've been doing this as long as I have, now you got to remember, started at the age of 16, and I've been gambling consistently every day since the age of 16, betting on sports. So that's all I know. This is, you know, my whole life. This isn't something I just picked up, you know, a couple years ago. So it's embedded in me. So I ultimately wanted to, you know, live this lifestyle because I thought that I could actually make money at doing it. And I love the rush. I mean, the, the, you know, as you know, because I know that, you know, you were in the world too, is there's nothing like it. I mean, I loved to gamble on sports. Don't get me wrong. No, I did. By I, the way, I, just to be clear, uh, and we're gonna yeah. take a break here in a second. That's one of the things people that don't have the addiction that you and Dan and I have don't understand. Like I loved it. It was everything yeah. to me and anything to me. And like you, I was willing to risk a very successful career, making more money than I could have ever imagined making in my lifetime. That I'll probably never get back to making in my life ever again. Mm-hmm. I was willing to uh, throw that in the trash can because. I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. I loved the numbers, the counting, the cards, the speed, the room, the smell, the everything. I was in love with it. I really was. Yeah, that's how it is. And, you know, in in my case, I love the action. And once this live betting came in play, it just, it was like crack cocaine for me because now I'm in action all day, every day. And it's happening a lot quicker. All right, let me stop you right there so we can uh, take a quick break. We'll continue on. Joel Soper has a book called Never Enough Zeros. He has not gambled since March of this year and has a story that, no joke, you make movies out of. We'll get more into that with him. And we continue with Dan Trelaro as well from Epic Risk Management right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Joel joins us, uh, and of course, Dan Trelaro. Joel, listen, I'm sure I could spend three hours talking to you about your entire story. We're kind of glossing over a lot of parts of it. I want you to walk me through, though, the worst day of your life, the lowest moment that led you to to decide, I'm tired of BSing people, 
tired of stealing money from people. I'm tired of living this life, and I'm willing to now admit I have a problem and get help for it and never gamble ever again. What led you to making that positive, life-changing decision? Well, what happened with me was um, a basketball game. Um, I had a bet on a under, which is the total amount of the points scored, and a uh, team had a 20-something point lead, and they had the ball with 12 seconds left, and normally they just dribble it out, game's over, end of day. This particular person on this team shot a meaningless three-pointer with like one second left, made the game go over. So I just lost it. Now, I've broken many laptops and, and cell phones in the past on bad beats, but there was just something about this day and this beat that really did something to me. I literally punched the wall, and um, I came close to breaking, breaking my hand. So I had no cell phone. I had no laptop, and I just started writing and writing and writing. And it was from the beginning of this journey when I was 16 in Detroit to just now, just what happened. And I couldn't believe how long I wrote for, literally two days, just straight writing. And then I I read it and I'm like, holy, I have destroyed my whole entire life. I've ruined every relationship that I've ever had. I've burned my friends my family, and all the people that were close to me in my life. And I am going to end up exactly where I was a couple years ago, which was in jail, if I do not do something about this. So this has helped me become a new person. And in turn, hopefully it's helping other people that are addicted to sports gambling because it's, it's such a slippery slope, Craig, once you get in. Yeah. And I'm not saying that my story is going to happen to, to everybody, but there will be a certain percentage of people that will experience the same things that I did. No, it was, it's certainly uh, certain aspects of the story. You know, everyone's story is ultimately unique to, to them, but you're right. There, there's commonality in the addiction to all of us. Like, I didn't have to get beat up by a guy like you did to understand the fear of of who I'm doing business with or who I'm borrowing money from and that kind of stuff. So I'm with you on that. I'm wondering, you know, April, May, June, July, August, September. So you're about seven months into your recovery. And I guess the obvious question to me, and Dan, chime in please here as well, is do you miss gambling or are you really content living your life without it? At this point, I definitely miss it. Um, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Um, you know, football season's here, so I see the games on TV, and it just is something that I really need to not watch any TV when it comes to Saturdays and Sundays. But I also know that if I do make that first bet again, where my life will go. And like I told you earlier, it's, I feel free. I feel like I can breathe again. I feel so much smarter. Like I have all of this extra space, like in my, my mind, in my brain to do things that I never thought I could do and yep. to develop things and, and exercise and all these things now 
that I never had the time and energy to do. I never had time for, you know, a girlfriend or kids because my life was just constant selling and gambling, selling and gambling. That was it. So now it's really interesting because of the whole time factor. I have so much more time and energy. It's amazing. Dan, how often do I talk about that? Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about that. It sounds like I'm talking to you. Uh, You know, it's that mental free space. And Joel, you're so right. It's, you know, sports betting is one of those things where, you know, when you're not actually gambling or watching it, you're handicapping, you're thinking, you're preoccupied. And that space, and you said it so well, the weight being lifted off. And, And it's hard because there's people in our life that will hear, um, about our gambling addiction. And I'll tell you firsthand, they don't feel that same relief that, that we do. You know, I, I know when I came clean with my gambling, yes, I felt that weight lifted off my shoulder, but now I've just transferred some of that weight, a lot of that weight onto the shoulders of others. And not everyone always feels that sense of freedom and relief that we feel, but we can't let that deter us because that's what's been crippling. We're just being crushed under that weight of secrecy and lying and deceitfulness. And and so I can appreciate it does feel really good, but we also have to think about those around us who now start to see really what we've been dealing with. Yeah, and I think I, I've not had the pleasure yet to read the book, which is called Never Enough Zeros, and that's obviously what you alluded to uh, when you went into uh, like a writing frenzy for those uh, few days. But I imagine there's probably an aspect of it, like you said, when you go back and now read what you wrote down, and I'm sure you've forgotten about a lot of moments in your life that are going to come up because they do for all of us at some point. You'll see something or someone. could be a TV show, a commercial, a road sign that's going to you know, click your brain into remembering a story that you'd otherwise forgotten because you're so preoccupied with you know, gambling and worrying about gambling. How cathartic was the process for you? And do you think you would have gotten to the place you are today if you hadn't written the book? There's no way I would have got to this place. I would be stuck in that same Groundhog's Day every day Um, because I just know myself and I know by doing this as long as I have, it was just a, you know, didn't think about it. It was like get up, gamble, sell, gamble, and that was it. And like I was telling you earlier that, you know, with the, the new live betting, it's like I was in action all day, every day. So it was very hard to, to focus on anything. Let me ask but you this. Book, was suicide a, a thought for you at any point? Absolutely. Uh, what transpired with me is when I got out of uh, a jail on uh, December 31st, 2016, I uh, was facing three to five years in jail, and I owed about uh, $350,000 to some you know, bookmakers, and I didn't see a need for me to live anymore, so I went to uh, the bridge in San Diego, the Coronado Bridge, and uh, I was going to jump, and I held up traffic there for like two hours, and the police officers came, and they they basically walked me off the bridge. They they pulled up my name and they said, "Hey, let's talk about this. You you know we can we can work you through this. We'll take you to Starbucks. We'll we'll talk about it." Well, they walked me off the bridge. They didn't take me to Starbucks. They took me to a, a loony bin. But uh, huh. wait, so long. If you don't mind sharing this part, this um, and mm. I think it's important. The reason I brought it up is that we don't talk about mental health enough, especially as men. And, you know, suicide, the suicide rate of gambling addicts is higher than both uh, drug addicts 
and alcoholics, and it's like this dirty little secret that people don't like talking about, and I think you have to talk about it. Uh, and I was there, you know, in the same place, not meaning San Diego, but, you know, thinking about not waking up the next day. And uh, if you could just walk us through, you walked out to the Coronado Bridge, and, like, I always wonder this, how did somebody know that you were going to jump? You know, why didn't you jump, and how did that day or those two hours play itself out? Yeah, so I was just, it was a rainy day, and uh, I'll never forget it, that I wanted to just end it because I just had that feeling inside that I'm going to keep gambling. It's going to keep being the same end result. I'm going to keep hurting my family and friends, and nothing is going to change. So why do I want to put these people through this torture? So it was actually, you know, myself and the people around me that that's what I was thinking about. And as I was, you know, standing there on the bridge, I don't know why I didn't jump because I really wanted to at that point, because I did not see any silver lining in my life at all. And what happens? A motorist or someone drives by, sees you standing on a ledge and calls the police. I walk us through that. Yeah. This guy, you know, pulls over. He says, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just done. I'm over it. I just can't take it anymore. And I swear within like a minute, there was three police officers there and, and they, they walked me off the bridge. I literally held up traffic for a while. Is it, I, uh, have you ever talked to that guy since then? No, I don't uh, know who that guy was. I don't know, you know, where he came from. But he definitely saved my life. Yeah, no and doubt. There's, well, trust, yeah. He, he, there's been a lot of instances where, you know, I wanted to kill myself after, you know, losing and putting myself in very bad positions. And uh, before I let you go, and the name of the book, again, is Never Enough Zeros. Uh, Joel uh, wrote it and I uh, recommend you uh, giving it a read, especially if you have some connection to uh, addiction, gambling addiction specifically. But if you're in a, in a bad place recognizing that, you, know, you can get to a good place. You know, Joe, we ask a lot of people like yourself to come on the show. You know, there's a lot of people that are way back where you were, you know, seven months ago. And if you were going to give advice to somebody who's in that place where they're struggling and, you know, the walls are caving in on them and they're not, not sure what to do and they can't imagine life without gambling and they think they've ruined every relationship and, you know, all the things we've all gone through – what advice would you give somebody that said day one of this process? I would tell them that even though they, they're at the bottom, the bottom can get a lot worse. And I would tell them that if they have any willpower or any support system around them to use it, uh, reach out. You know, you're not alone in this. And people will actually understand and they'll actually be there to help you through this. It's amazing when you actually tell people your story, how much they want to help. Also, you know, read the book because the book is exactly what you have been through, what you're going through. And this is a lifeline to let you know that we can walk this journey together. Dan, let me, I, I want to bring Dan on that real quick. Daniel, one of the yeah. toughest parts of you know, the addiction recovery process, and, and you deal with it far more than I do in your lifetime, of course, as a former executive director, assistant director 
of 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey uh, is getting people to take that first step, right? And I wonder what advice, as you've now joined Mm. Epic and you're talking more to young adults, how do you convince them? Not that you always count successfully. We know you can't. But how do you convince young adults or any adults to take that first step to get help before they make really bad decisions? Uh, What's been amazing through all the work that we've been doing and even my time at 800 Gamblers is when I'm able to be vulnerable a little bit to start a conversation, you can almost set the tone for that dialogue. And so using your own lived experience, like using my lived experience, my vulnerability, it almost gives people permission to also share back a little bit when they may not have done so otherwise. So it's forming the relationship and basically letting people know it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to struggle. And there's strength and vulnerability. And, you know, yeah, I can relate to you. I've been there. And this is what I dealt with. How about you? What are you going through? And when you share a little bit yourself, it's amazing that people start sharing back. You know, Craig, I, I, like you said, I, I travel the country talking to colleges, student-athletes. It's amazing how many come up to me afterwards and saying, hey, you know what? I, I know of someone who's got a problem like this. You know, it could be a family member. Right. It could be a boyfriend, girlfriend. And it's like, what do I do? And, you know, it's all about being vulnerable, being present, and just kind of listening and sharing a little bit. And all of a sudden, this, this magical thing starts to happen. People feel comfortable. Well, listen, uh, Joel, I really appreciate you coming on today. Again, the name of the book is Never Enough Zeros. Uh, we should pick a day in the future to sit down and get more into the uh, you know specifics of your life story. And if you're willing to do that, I'd be happy to do it with you. Uh, best of luck to you. Continued recovery. And just know that at any point, if it goes south for you or you're starting to have some bad feelings again, I'm always available, and so is Dan, and I would hope that you would use us as a resource to lean on as you continue this fight towards recovery, okay? I will, and I appreciate that a lot. And thank you for spreading the word because I'm a big fan of yours, and uh, I've listened to your show, and I think you're doing some great things. Well, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll stay in touch for sure. That's Joel Soper. It's uh, Never Enough Zeros. Danny, as always, good talking to you, pal. We'll do it again next week, okay? Sounds great. Thank you, guys. And by the way, we're only a couple shows away from 100. So um, wow. you're you're wow. buying. <laughs> <laughs> All good, though. You got it. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You have Joe and Evan coming up in just a moment. And then Evan and I are back Monday at 2 o'clock. Thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.